Father, we thank you so much for tonight. We thank you again for the privilege to be here. I thank you for the privilege to preach. And Lord, I pray that you would just do a work that only you can do in our hearts and lives. I pray that we would all be encouraged because of what you do here tonight and that all praise and all glory would go to your great name. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. And I pray, Father, that we would be a thankful people, a people that desire to live holy lives. Father, we love you, praise you, and thank you again. We pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. And you may be seated. Now, what I want to do is there's actually five slides that I would like to go through with you guys before we jump into the Scripture and start unpacking it. And the reason why I want to go through these slides is because these are words that you're going to see quite a bit in Leviticus 11 through 15. And throughout the next eight to ten weeks as we're going through these chapters, you're going to see these words expressed in a couple different ways. And you should have received what is going to be up on the slides in your notes, but I want to go over these things. And just so you guys know, from week to week, one or two of these slides are going to be being used as we go. So the first thing I want you guys to consider is there's really two different categories that you're going to see in Leviticus 11 through 15. And really, we've seen a little bit of it up to this point, but it's going to get really, really common in the next few chapters. The first thing is this idea of being holy. And this literally means to be set aside for the worship and service of God. And so when you see the word holy in chapters 11 through 15, I want you to think about this idea that whatever it is that it is talking about is set aside for the worship and service of God. And by the way, as we just read here in this text, God desires for us to live holy lives. You're also going to see this idea of common, and that is two different categories when it is talking about common. There is clean and there is unclean. One way to consider clean, and again, we're going to be going through a lot of these, but one way to consider clean is simply to be fit to be in the presence of God. A way to think about unclean is exclusion from the presence of God. On the next slide, we're going to look at those words again but maybe in a little bit of a different way. Again, when you think about the word holy, think about that this is affecting your spiritual health, and this has to do with eternity or eternal life. Or when you consider clean, that it has to do with physical health or life. And then when we consider unclean, it could be many of these things or even some other things that we'll be discussing over the next few weeks. Unclean could have to do with physical death. Unclean could have to do with something simply being unhealthy. Unclean could be a result of sin, but does not necessarily have to be. And unclean can also represent spiritual death. On the next slide, we're again going to consider these words from another angle. Clean and unclean talks about the condition, that is, the state of something in regard to its appearance, its quality, or its working order of a person, place, or thing. Or, if it is holy or common, it is the status. So clean and unclean is the condition. Holy and uncommon is the status or the classification that determines their rights and responsibilities or purposes of persons, places, objects, and times. 
Another thing that you're going to see as we go through here on the next slide is that there are holy places, and there are holy people, and there are holy animals. As you see here on this slide, the holy things are the tabernacle, the priests, and the sacrificial animals. The clean things are the camp, Israel as a people, and the domesticated animals. And then you'll also see unclean, and these are the places like the wilderness, or the Gentiles, or the animals that are wild. And then the last slide to consider is this. Clean plus sanctification slash consecration equals holy. Unclean plus holy equals profaning. That is a spiritual reality. And unclean plus clean equals polluted, which is a physical reality. And so as we consider these words, I wanted to start to get you familiar with them. And you might be thinking, this is kind of a lecture. Well, yeah, this, this sermon tonight might lean more towards the lecture side of things, but we have to lay out a foundation as we are going through these chapters. And so now back to Leviticus chapter 11, I want us to consider a few things as we are introducing ourselves to these chapters. The first thing I would like you to consider is this, and you'll find it on your notes. Holiness encompasses the whole of life. It always has, and it always will. I need you guys to breathe that in, because that's a really profound statement. That holiness encompasses the whole of life. This wasn't just a Leviticus thing. This is a following God thing. That is, if I'm going to be holy, I need to know how to be holy in literally every single area of my life. It encompasses everything. And I think sometimes when we think about holiness, there might be some categories that we think about, but very, very seldom do we think about that holiness is all-encompassing in our life. See, God reigns over every single aspect of our life and is to be served and glorified at all times. So let's make this really applicable. God is to be served and glorified at the dinner table. God is to be served and glorified in the way we steward our things. God is to be served and glorified in the way we work in our workplaces. God is to be served and glorified literally in every single category of life you can think of. And some of you might right now starting to just feel this feeling of overwhelmingness. It's like, how in the world am I supposed to know how to be holy in every single area of my life? Answer, the Word of God. It gives us what we need to do this. But because holiness is really not taught, it's really not preached a lot in America, this idea of holiness encompassing all of our lives is not a thought that we usually have, that we are called to serve and glorify God at all times and in all places. Another thing as you're going through these chapters, you might find it odd, some of the subject matters. I don't know if you've read through Leviticus 11 through 15, but some of the things you might find incredibly odd and maybe even be wondering, how in the world are you going to apply this to us as Christians today in the New Testament? Well, one of the things I want to encourage you in is that the first week we are in the chapter, we're going to get into the cultural context. And then the next Thursday, we are going to get into how do these things apply to us 
as New Testament believers. So I just want you guys to know, we'll do chapter 11, we'll go through Leviticus chapter 11, and then we'll look at Leviticus chapter 11 in light of the New Testament. How do we apply these things that we're talking about? And we will go through each chapter and be doing that. So I would encourage you guys each week to be in these chapters, studying these chapters, and doing a lot of research. Because I'm telling you, it took a lot of work to really be able to decipher these chapters, dig in and understand what is going on contextually, which is why I believe a lot of people just stay away from this book because it's a lot of work to go through it. But as we look at these chapters, we need to understand it is not weird for us as people to talk about these subjects like food and hygiene and health. And in fact, it's a very common thing for us to talk about as people, especially in our culture today. We have all sorts of eating styles. We have all sorts of diets. We have all sorts of tastes and flavors and all of these different things. Literally in the city of Newark, I do not know if there is not a style of food that is not available for us in this city. And by the way, if you need Chinese or pizza, we have plenty of it in Newark, Ohio. But with that said, food is a common conversation for us. Hygiene and health and exercise, these are common conversations for us. And in fact, they've been normative throughout all culture. See, the proper stewardship of our health, the proper stewardship of safety and order and holiness have always been essential for those who have followed God. I think for some of us, when we think about our health, we don't necessarily think about holiness, We don't think about that the way that we conduct ourselves in our health with our bodies is a way for us to worship and glorify God. Even the things we eat or don't eat can lead us into greater worship of God or send us into a place in our sin where we lose the desire to worship God. See, God has given us these bodies to be a good steward of. See, these laws that we're going to see in Leviticus 11 through 15 are for the enjoyment and reverence of God and for the enjoyment and respect and honor of one another. That is what we've been talking about the whole time through this, reconciliation. See, the whole law is summed up in these two things. And with that said, I would like us to visit a few New Testament passages and then we will start digging into Leviticus chapter 11. And the first one I would like us to look at is in Matthew 22. So if you will turn over with me to Matthew 22. Matthew 22, starting in verse 36, it says this. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God. And then these statements with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. If you want to live a holy life, this is where you start. You need to ask God, God, I want to love you like this. I don't want to make up what love is in my own mind. I don't want to try to figure out what does it mean to love God. I want to go to your word, and in accordance to what your word says, I want to love you God, with all my heart, all my soul, and all my mind. That is, with everything in me, God, I want to love you. Now, here's the bad news. You can't do that on your own. 
Here is the good news. He has given us the Holy Spirit so that we can do this very thing, that we can strive towards this with everything in us, that we can get up every day and say, God, this is the bullseye on my target of life. Now, is anybody going to accomplish this perfectly? Of course not. But that's not the point. The point is, we show our love for God, we are expressing our love for God for striving after Him like this, with all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind. And then he goes on to say this in 38, this is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so when we're doing this, that is loving God with all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind, it is also going to help us properly love the people that are around us in our lives. A huge mistake that people make is trying to love people properly or according to God's Word before they are striving to love God according to God's Word. Because to the flesh, it feels good to love people, not necessarily biblically, but to love people in the way we like to love. But to love people in accordance to God's word, I have to depend on God. And to have the strength to do that, I need to be loving God with all my heart, all my soul, in all my mind. And this is what God is calling the people to do in Leviticus chapter 11. He's looking at them and saying to them, when I say be holy as I am holy, I'm telling you to love me in this kind of way. I would also like us to consider 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 17. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. And it says this, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. And how much of our conduct? All of it. So if I'm going to be holy in all of my conduct, that means I need to be loving God and loving people. Because if I'm not loving God and loving people according to his word, I can rest assured that I'm not going to be walking in holiness in all my conduct. And then he says the argument for this is since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. We just read that in Leviticus chapter 11. So what are we seeing here? That God's expectation of his people has not changed. And you guys got to breathe this in because I think sometimes when we think about grace, holiness is just thrown out. God loves me. There's grace and mercy. What's this holiness thing all about? Because I'm sure some of you are sitting here saying, are we really going to start just eating certain animals as a church? Is that what you're appealing to, that we're going to have to keep these laws in Leviticus 11? Nope, that's not what I'm appealing to. But what I am appealing to is the expectation of holiness has always been the same. And that is, if you are going to claim to know God, you need to look drastically different than the people that are around you. And the good news is, God gives us the instructions on how to do that. In verse 17, he says, And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with this, with fear throughout the time of your exile. 
And so again, this idea of fear is this reverence in awe of God. People do not strive for holiness until they have a reverence in awe of God. And you will start to have a reverence in awe of God properly when you are loving God with everything in you because part of loving God with everything in you is being in this book. And as you get into this book, you start to see how gigantic God is or so much bigger than what you thought he was and this should create an awe and reverence. People who do not spend time in this book will not have an awe and reverence of God. You don't have an awe and reverence. I feel safe assuming you don't spend much time in this book. Now, something I also want to address. Just because somebody spends a lot of time in this book does not mean by default they're going to have awe and reverence. Because the reason we need to be spending time in this book is to love God and to love people so that we can live holy lives. And we do that in growing in awe and reverence. And I'd like us to consider one more text before going back to Leviticus 11. And that is in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And this is a text that we will be spending a lot of time in over the next like six to eight weeks as we're going to be going through these 11 through 15 chapters of Leviticus. But I want you to consider this text tonight. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Starting in verse 14, it says this, and we really need to get a hold of this portion of Scripture because it's incredibly important for us as New Testament believers. It says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, and then give some arguments. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. I want to pause there for a moment. Does your company that you keep, the people that you give yourself intimately to, would they recognize that you are a temple of the living God? Would they realize by the way you live your life, would they recognize by the things you say, the things you watch, the things you participate in, that you are a temple of the living God, that you have been set apart, that you genuinely desire to love God with everything in you? When unbelievers look at you, do they see this reality? Because he gives us some instructions here. He says, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. And in this statement, and touch no unclean thing. Again, he's saying this to New Testament believers here. Do not touch unclean things. Then I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. And then this in verse 1. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from these two categories. Every defilement of body and spirit. Bringing holiness to completion, and then that, again that phrase, in the fear 
of God. So there's two different defilements to consider. There are things that defile me physically by engaging with, and there are things that defile me spiritually. And I want you guys to understand, I believe those things go hand in hand. I believe the things that defile me physically are going to affect me spiritually. And in the same way, what I believe or don't believe about God is going to manifest itself in the way that I walk out my life physically. And so I believe that these two things are connected, and this is the message of Leviticus 11 through 15, that these things are intertwined, they're connected. The physical actions that we take, the way that we think about things is going to lead eventually to how we worship God, how we walk in our lives, the way that we conduct ourselves in everything that we do. So with that said, let us now turn back to Leviticus chapter 11, and we will start to unpack this text that we have here in front of us. And by the way, it's hefty. We've got 47 verses to unpack, and we'll do our best to get through them tonight. But I want us to start with considering verse 44, for it says this, for I am the Lord your God. This is important for us to consider. God's making a statement of being in control. One of the things as you read Leviticus 11 that's going to come to your mind is why. Why in the world does God have these rules for his people? Why eat certain things and not eat certain things? Why participate in certain things and not participate? God, why in the world does this matter? And that's not where we should start in our argumentation of the importance of these words. Where we should start is if God says it, we do it, even if he doesn't give us an explanation that we think is good enough because God is never on trial. So if I gave you no explanation at all to Leviticus 11 other than God commanded it, so therefore you should do it, that should be sufficient. But for so many of us, it's not sufficient. I don't know if you remember being a kid or if you've been around kids and a parent will say, go do something. What is the natural thing for the kid to say? Why? Why do you want me to do that? Why is that important? I don't really want to do that. I don't think that's fair. We always want to put commands on trial from authority. And what we need to understand when it comes to God is that God can ask anything of us and we should do it based on the reality that he is Lord. And if that is not enough for you, you are really going to struggle to strive for holiness. Because we must get to the place, because he says this twice inside of just literally two verses. For in 45, again, he says, For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. What he's saying is, I am in charge. You go back to the book of Genesis, you might be wondering, why did God give Adam a command? Why did he tell him to not eat from a certain tree? Answer, because he's God. And he wanted to establish, I am the creator and you are the creature. And in light of that relationship, you should obey. And then what is crazy about God is that even though that is sufficient in his grace, 
He so often gives us explanations for the things that he does and the things that he asks of us. But that's not required. It's a grace. It's a mercy. We're talking about a holy God that is beyond bigger than anything you could ever imagine. And we must get to a place where our awe and reverence is not simply based on his ability to explain something to us in a way that we understand, but that he is holy and we are not. That he is infinite and we are not. That he is wise and we are not. This is essential to striving for holiness. Because if it has to be a battle of wits between us and God, then holiness is not going to be something we aspire for. And so we must start with this essential reality that He is God, He is Creator, we are creation, and based on that reality, we should submit to Him with everything in us. This is essential. If I'm going to enjoy you, and I'm going to enjoy God. This has to be a principle in my life. But the good news is, we're going to talk about why. But before we jump into the why, I also want us to look at something that's very important again. And this is how our flesh and how Satan tempts us in light of what it is that we just said. Because if you would flip with me to Genesis, I would like us to just consider two things in the conversation or the temptation with Eve and Satan. In Genesis chapter 3, I would like us to consider the second part of verse 1. And it says this, He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Step one, doubt. Doubting the significance of walking in obedience to God. This is how our flesh attacks, and this is how Satan attacks. Specifically, in the age of grace. Did God really say that? And if he did, is it really all that important? Because if I minimize the importance of God's words, holiness I'm not going to strive for. I must exalt the importance of what God says because in knowing what he says, I'm going to see him properly, which will lead to me loving him properly, which will lead to me loving people properly. See, these laws that we see in Leviticus 11 through 15 are about loving God and loving people properly, but the correct mindset, the transformed mind has got to be where we start. And then in verse 4, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The next temptation, that God's doing you a disservice by not allowing you to participate in certain things, that you literally would be missing out and enjoying life with one another and life with God if you weren't able to do this. That's the pitch. God's a killjoy. The scripture is a killjoy. God's rules are there to be burdensome. That's why I love 1 John 5, 3. Because it tells us his commands are not burdensome. Leviticus 11 wasn't burdensome. 
the Old Testament was not burdensome. Think about the way that David talks about the law. That doesn't sound burdensome. And some of us might read Leviticus 11 and find that to be burdensome. Like, oh man, I am so thankful I didn't live during that time. And what we're kind of saying is this. It just doesn't seem like it would matter all that much to do these things. And I want to encourage you in something. If God asks you to do it, it matters much. It matters significantly much. Like if he tells us to gather for worship corporately, it's because it matters. If he commands us to get into his word, it's because it matters. If he commands us to pray, it is because it matters. If he tells us to stay away from things that defile the body or the spirit, he says it because it matters. Well, why does it matter? Because we've been called to be holy people. In verse 46, he says this of Leviticus 11. This is the law about beast and bird and every living creature that moves through the waters and every creature that swarms on the ground. And then this phrase, to make a distinction between the unclean and the clean and between the living creature that may be eaten and the living creature that may not be eaten. With that thought, turn back with me to Leviticus 10. And let us read verse 10. And it says this, you, talking to Aaron, are to distinguish between the holy and the common and between the unclean and the clean, and you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. Again, incredibly important, a distinction as Christians, is there distinctions in your life? When you look at you and the unsaved person you are working beside, are there distinctions? Are there differences? Are there things that if the observer was looking, they would see holy and unholy? That they would see a striving to obviously glorify God here in a striving maybe to please man here. What do people see in marriages? If we were to stack a marriage of two believers next to a marriage of two unbelievers, would they see distinctions, differences in the way that they conduct their lives? See, this is what these chapters are all about, distinctions, differences, that when the world looks they know we're different. And it encompasses every single area of our lives. It wasn't that God just started picking animal names out of a basket and says, clean, unclean. Clean, unclean. There was purpose. And the purpose was for his people to be set apart as holy and everyone would know that their God is the one who rescued them out of Egypt. Question, when people look at us, do they look at us as people who have been rescued from what? Our former ignorance. A different way of living. A way of living that leads to 
death. A way of living that is about sin and not a way of living that is about glorifying God. See, as we get into these chapters and over the next few weeks as we discuss them, it is so important for us to have this mindset because if not, we'll get lost inside of things that we shouldn't get lost inside of. What we should get lost inside of is the importance of distinctions in the follower of God's lives. So with that said, let us take 15 minutes or so to talk about these animals. In verses 1 through 8 of chapter 11, we see clean and unclean animals. And by the way, as I give you these reasons and rationale, I want you to know that all of these things could be true. And to be honest with you, maybe only one of these things might be accurate, but I think they all have tremendous value. I want you guys to know that there was even far more than what I'm giving you tonight, that those who are Jewish all the way to theologians and people that were in between gave us really good reasons why God made these distinctions. And I would like to share some of them with you here tonight. One of the reasons that unclean animals were forbidden to be eaten and their carcasses could not be used was for economic reasons. Many of these animals that were viewed as unclean could be used for clothing, wineskins, multiple uses for their bones, like combs, for example. And there was a reason because God loves order. I want you guys to hear that because this is really important. God loves order. He does not love chaos. God is not a God of confusion. God is a God of order. And he was creating a orderly society for his people to work inside of. This would ensure that unclean animals would not be hunted, and some of them feel like that was for multiple reasons. One would be for the devaluing of the clean animals. If we had animals inside of the camp that were to be used for economic reasons, and people were out hunting the unclean animals, it would take away the value of the animals inside of the camp and move people outside of the camp to find their provisions and not find them inside of the camp. See, God wanted his people to understand everything you need is here in this camp. Everything you will ever need in life, I'm going to provide for you. You don't have to go outside the camp to find what you need to live. Oh, how important this is for us to understand. You might be just reading a bunch of animals, but get that beauty. Everything you need to live is found here. You need nothing unclean. You need nothing of this world to live. What God has provided, this order that God has provided, is everything you need to live. And not just live, but live life to its fullest. Some theologians believe that if they were to hunt these unclean animals in these areas, that these species would not survive. That they would simply die off because of the amount of these animals that there were in the area. Obviously, some of these animals, when you study these cultures, were associated with pagan worship. That's kind of a no-brainer. 
God would not want things associated with pagan worship inside of the place where he is worshiped. Think about that for a moment. We should never invite in to a place where God is worshiped things that are used to worship in this world. Things that would point us away from the God of the universe into the frills of life. Things that aren't set apart as holy. Things that are not all about God. Maybe what we would say, bring a little world into the church to attract the world to the church. And maybe they'll get saved you've been watching over the last 30 years, that doesn't work. We need to make sure that we understand the importance of there being a distinction and God wanted them to see with the clean and unclean animals that you see in Leviticus 11, 1 through 8, that there was a drastic distinction between how culture A did life and how God's people did life. And if someone was to wander into the camp, if a Gentile was to wander in, they would see such a distinction in the way that God does business with his people, in the way his people do business with God, than any other people group that Gentile had ever been around. All of a sudden, this stuff can be incredibly applicable for us as we start to consider some of these things. See, some of these unclean animals lived in caves and tombs. And in this culture, caves and tombs represented death and darkness or sin. Some of them were carnivores and scavengers, again, representing the effects of the fall. God did not want his camp, his people associated with sin. He did not want them participating in things that exalted the brokenness that came from Adam's sin, but wanted them set apart, striving for holiness, even with their dealings with animals. Even with their dealings with animals. He said, I want there to be a distinction. What you eat, what you hunt, what you use for provisions, I want there to be a great distinction. See, clean animals were the common domestic animal of the day as opposed to the wild animals. Domestic animals represented order and stability or holiness, and the wild animals represented chaos and disorder. Inside of the camp represented safety, and the wilderness represented danger. People should feel safe here. We should feel safe in this. We should feel safe in prayer. But so often, we run to the wilderness as opposed into the presence of God when we sin. It is important for us to understand that God does not want our relationships to be chaotic and out of control. He doesn't want our marriages and our relationships with our kids in our relationship with our coworkers to be in chaos. He wants them to be orderly. 
He wants them to glorify him. What does it mean to be orderly, to live them out in accordance to God's word? Like, whoever works, work as if he is working for Christ. Husband, love your wife as Christ loves the church. Wife, submit to your husband as the church submits to Christ. That's orderly. Every Christian woman, every Christian man should look orderly when we're walking in accordance to this book. Not chaos from Christian to Christian, situation to situation. Order. Order that glorifies God, believing that what he says matters because he is the Lord. This is so important for us to get a hold of as we consider these things. See, These clean animals, they lived in shelters, they had protection, they were used in sacrifices, and and a result of all that had great economic value, which means that when I went to make the sacrifice, it cost me something, because I couldn't go make up for it out in the world. It cost me something. I couldn't just go get another animal outside of the camp to make up for the loss that I lost. This loss actually hurt. It mattered. It cost me in the pocketbook. It was actually a real life sacrifice to do what it was that we were doing as we brought our domesticated animals that made us money to the altar of God to give him a sacrifice of praise and say, God, you're worth it. God, you're worth it. See, this order mattered. It mattered so much inside of this culture. I don't think we're going to get through all of it. That's okay. Let's talk about clean and unclean fish for a moment. We'll see this in Leviticus 11, 9 through 12. The reasons offered for certain sea creatures being eaten and others being avoided or unclean are as follows. First of all, these prohibitions eliminated all of the fish that would have possibly been dangerous to eat. That is to bring sickness or death. God was not setting out to bring his people out of Egypt and to kill them in the wilderness. He wanted them to live and live life to its fullest. And in fact, these prohibitions were because of the diet of fish, that is, eating other dead fish or waste. See, even the diet of what the animals ate meant something to God because of what it symbolized. And in this culture, again, and inside of the Jewish culture, the deep, that is the deep in the ocean, represented death. So sea creatures that were in the depths could have been outlawed. And lastly, it could have had to do with the number of those fish that were there in those areas. Point is that God loves his creation. The point is that there is significance even to the fish that they ate because God wanted them to live lives to the fullest and anything they participated in, even in their food, he wanted it to point towards reconciliation and redemption, not death. And so if a fish ate off of death, God did not want them to participate in it. Literally everything that went in their mouth. He wanted them to think about him. Everything they did economically, he wanted them to think about him. Every time they went out to work, 
every time they went out to fish, every time they were gathering their things together, he wanted them to think about him. This is what it looks like to strive for holiness. In Leviticus 11, 13 through 31, we see clean and unclean birds. And in fact, we only see in this portion of Scripture unclean birds, but we see insects and swarming things. A few things on those. No clean birds are listed, but the birds that are listed are birds of prey. Birds that lived in the wilderness and killed and fed off the blood of other animals. If you would flip with me to Leviticus 17, verses 10 and 11, you'll see this. If any one of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among them eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Blood was so significant in that culture And it had such value because it pointed to God that they wanted to set it apart as holy so these animals that participated in eating blood were outlawed and not allowed to be partaken of. Also in this culture, many of these birds and animals that we see here in this portion of Scripture were associated with demons or the occult inside of these cultures. And so when they saw certain flying animals, these birds, they would associate those with demons. The prohibition on insects and swarming things seemed to point to either their chaotic nature, that they are disorderly, possibly that they are nocturnal, again, maybe their diet, or that they simply just do not provide much nutritional value. Both grasshoppers and locusts, which by the way were allowed to be eaten in this culture, actually have great nutritional value. I learned that. I had no idea. And also, if these animals, the locusts, had eaten the crops, God in his grace provided for them a source of food through the locusts. How amazing is God? How awesome is he in his provision That even if the locusts ate all of the crops, he says, there's an answer. Eat the locusts. And in fact, something that was really funny, I was reading uh, one theologian who said that he thought that the manna was possibly locusts, which I thought was an interesting thing. By the way, I'm not appealing to that. I just thought that was an interesting idea as we're talking about the subject of locusts. But as we finish up here tonight and we consider this chapter, and again, we'll be talking about this again next week, We know what the point is. The point is this. Are we living holy lives? Are we set apart? Are there distinctions in our lives that when people look, they're like, those are God's people. That is the thing for us to consider here this evening. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. It was fun to study for this one and to get into this and dig into this information, but Father, what you are saying to us through this text is loud and clear, and that is that you are the Lord our God, 
and you have called us to be holy as you are holy because you have rescued us out of our sin and given us life. And Father, if there is anyone here tonight that doesn't know you, let them repent of their sins, believe in the work of Christ, and let them receive your spirit that they can walk a holy life. And for every Christian in here tonight, Lord, let us strive to live distinct, holy lives that the world knows that we have been rescued from our sin. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. All right, guys, you are dismissed, and we will see you guys next time. God bless.